This morning I want to talk to you about your kids. Right? I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you about your marriage. I don't want to talk to you about your job. I want to talk to you about your kids. And I want to talk to you about the miracle that God is doing and the miracle that God will do in your children. I know my two boys are miracles in and of themselves, but I know that God's got more in store and God's got more planned for them. And we're going to read a passage today in Mark where Jesus is, is doing what he's doing and he's, and he's ministering to people and he's loving on people and he's healing the sick and, and doing what Jesus does. And there's this man named Jairus. And Jairus comes up to Jesus and he fights through the crowd and he says, hey, my daughter is dying. I need your help. I need you now. My daughter is dying. My daughter is dead. I don't know what's happening. I can't explain it. My daughter is dying. And Jesus is like, okay. Like, there isn't a lot that alarms Jesus. And so he says, okay. And so he starts making his way to Jairus' house. Now, Jairus was a big shot in the temple. He was a man of influence. He was a man of power in the temple. He was a man that people looked up to. They went to him for advice. They sought him out. And here's what I can tell you. If you're a person of influence and a person of power, there's, a, there's going to come a point in time in your life where you're going to have to seek somebody else out. In fact, every great leader is first a great follower before they ever become a great leader. They learn, they learn how to follow. And so this is Jairus, and he's going to Jesus. And he says, my daughter is dying. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. Let's start making our way. And so they start walking. Well, in the process, the crowds become so large. And if you've been in church for a while, you might remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood who had a problem that she just, she just bled and bled and bled and the doctors couldn't solve it and she's been this way for over a decade and there's no, there's no cure for this. And so she says to herself, she goes, if I can just get within range to touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, I know there's enough power in him, I'll be healed. Right? And the Bible says that as Jesus is walking, that the crowds get so packed around him that he can hardly move. And so he's fighting his way through the crowd, and she comes up, and I don't have time to get into this story. It's an incredible story. But she comes up, and she touches, the Bible says, the hem of his garment, just the edge of his garment, and she's healed instantly. And Jesus turns around, and he goes, okay, who touched me? And Peter says, are you kidding me? Like, we're leaving a Nickelback concert at Banker's Life, and you want to know who touched you. Are you serious? Like, everybody's touching you. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I felt power leave me. I felt the drain. Who touched me? This was a different touch, right? And all of a sudden, she's healed. And he turns and he finds her and he talks to her. But at the same time, 
there's this issue because Jairus' daughter is dying. And Jesus is like, well, I'm going to heal her first, and I'm going to talk to the crowd, and I'm just going to, dude, Jesus. I mean, yeah, he, I don't know if that's legal. I just called Jesus dude. But you're like, dude, my daughter is dying. In fact, Barnes writes in Barnes' notes on the Bible, he, he writes in his notes, he says that it's very likely and he seems to think even somewhat implied that Jairus walked with Jesus and stayed by his side. Like, come on, man. Like, it's my daughter. Come on. Let's go. Let's, let's hurry up here. I mean, who wouldn't be doing that as a parent, right? Like, you know this guy can heal your daughter. She's dying. Come on. And yet Jairus is in the crowd being pushed and pulled and turned. He sees the woman with the issue of blood who gets healed. And then we come to Mark chapter 5, verse 35 through 43. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's over. It's done. There's nothing that this teacher guy, Jesus, can do. Hang it up. Your daughter's dead. Well, what do you think is probably going through Jairus' mind? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of Jairus. He's thinking, what the heck? Dude, the one person that could heal her, and now you mess around with this woman who apparently is still alive and she was going to keep living with her issue and you let this crowd and he probably in his mind is going through all of these excuses and all of these reasons and telling Jesus what are you doing? Now my daughter's dead. <laughs> God's timing is not our timing. And what looks like a dead end for us and it being over for us and being over for your children and my kid will never accept Christ and my child has walked out and everything that I tried to put into them they've walked away from and they don't have a relationship with Jesus and they're out partying and they're out doing whatever it is that they want to do they're out they're running away from Jesus and so spiritually they're dead and you're sitting here wondering, where's Jesus in all this? Because I see Jesus working in that family, and I see Jesus working over here, and I see Jesus working in all these other crowds. What about my kid? What about my child? And I promise you, that's what's going through Jairus' head. What about my daughter? It's not fair. It doesn't add up. It's not okay. In verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, 
which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around as she was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Your daughter is dead. You might be sitting here today as a parent thinking, what is wrong with my child? It's not adding up. Nothing is working. No matter how I try to parent, no matter how I try to discipline, no matter what I lecture, no matter what I say to my child, it's not working. And your friends don't have an answer. And I'm not talking about cute little Timmy who's learning to walk and is a toddler and when things get quiet in the house, you have to go find him because you know he's, not, he's up to no good. I'm not talking about that stage of life. I'm talking about junior high, high school, college, 40s, and then their 50s. And they're not following Christ, and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And something's not lining up because you know you had them in church. And let me just say this, that I think too many times that we as parents, as Christian parents who want our children to, to grow up and have a relationship with Jesus, we're too busy raising them in church and not raising them in Christ. Oh, snap. We're too busy raising them in church, not raising them in Christ. We expect a church to do what we should be doing Monday through Saturday. And we think that one hour a week is going to cut it when they spend eight hours a day or seven hours a day, Monday through Friday, in a satanic-filled school that's full of cheating and lying and pornography and is a war zone, and they're supposed to make up for it one hour a week in church? No. Can't tell you how many times I'm like, hey, guys, what's on that phone? What are you looking at? When you see a bunch of guys huddled around a phone in the classroom, I'm like, give me your phone. I know what you're looking at. I only have to turn the screen back on. And I have to take it. Right? It's a reality. It's a spiritual war zone. Don't think it's not. And one hour a week to raise your kid in church isn't going to cut it. You got to be involved Monday through Friday and Saturday. And as the book of Deuteronomy says, when, when you're on your way going someplace and when you're on your way coming home, that you are talking about the Lord and you're talking about Scripture and you're talking about the things of God as you're going and coming, that it's a lifestyle. And it's not just some nice little verse that you've got posted on a cute thing that you bought at Hobby Lobby on your wall, but it's a way of life. That is not something that you just wear around your neck. Look at my cross, I'm a Christian. Baloney, right? That it's real, that it's every day, it's there. I'm not saying you're perfect, but I'm saying you're trying and you're pushing forward and you're making an effort because we send our kids out into these schools that are spiritual war zones. And if they're not equipped spiritually, they'll lose the fight. They just will. And then we'll be like, Jairus, what's wrong with my child's relationship with God? It's dead. It's not working. Now, I get that maybe they have to go out and they have to kind of figure out what's them. I know I did. 
I told my parents, I said, look, I don't even know Jesus is real. You spoon-fed me Jesus my entire life. I'm out. And I walked out. Not out of the house. I walked out on Jesus. And I said, I'm done. So I begin to, I'm like, okay, well, I, I at least know there's a God, but I don't really know how interested he is in me, and I really don't know. And so I just kind of became agnostic, like he's out there somewhere, and I don't really care, and I'll figure it out someday, and whatever. And then I started to study. I started to, I started studying other religions, and I started studying other belief systems, and I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, that, that makes a little sense. And, and the whole time... I can tell you my parents were sweating. My mom was crying. She was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, ain't nothing wrong with me. What's wrong with you? You know, and that's like usually when dad got up out of the chair. But that's a different story, right? And so there, there are times in our children's lives that they're going to want to understand and know more and explore. And we have to be okay with that. But here's what I'm going to tell you. That if you want to see God work a miracle in your child's life, you can't work miracles and listen to the masses. Because the masses will tell you, well, just let them, just let them explore that on their own. Let them figure that out on their own. And let me ask you something. You're going to let your child figure out how to speak English and write sentences on their own? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't let your child figure out algebra on their own. Right? You wouldn't let your child figure out Hey, I want to play a sport. All right, well, go out there and figure out how to swing a bat. You wouldn't let them do that on their own. So why, when it comes to spiritual and soul issues, do we go, all right, you go figure that out on your own? The only reason is because we don't want to face it because we don't know anything about it and we're afraid of it. And so our fear stunts our children's spiritual and soulish growth. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on all ten toes this morning, but it's true. We're afraid to get into the spiritual and soulish issues with our children because it'll show our ignorance. And we just don't want to deal with it because it seems out there somewhere and we don't want to touch it. And as a result, then our kids grow up messed up and they don't know which end is up and they're because the world's not going to give them any direction at all. Well, the world will give them a direction and it's the wrong direction. And so they need parents, and they need to be surrounded by other adults and other friends who are going to help point them in the right direction. And that's why it's important to be a part of a body of believers and people that can help you in those times and those difficult situations. Because Jesus says in, it says in verse 36 that he overheard the crowd. Parakuo. Parakuo is the Greek word para. You're familiar with para because we have parachutes and paracords. The word para means to be alongside of. So parachute means it's a chute that's alongside your body. Paracord means that it's a cord beside another cord. It's beside. Kuo means to hear. He's like, I, I'm, it's hearing, but it's not listening. Are you with me? All you wives understand this. He heard you, but he ain't listening, right? You all smiling, and the men are like, I'll see you after service, Pastor. But it's, it's, don't shake your head like you don't know, even know. I got a husband shaking his head like, what are you talking about? Look, parakuo means to be beside the crowd. You hear them, but you're not listening to them. You block them out. You ignore them. 
Because the crowd's saying, your child's done, it's over, this is the direction their life is going, it's not going to last, it's not going to matter. And the crowd in the world will tell you that it's over for your child. But I'm here to tell you that if you, Jesus is involved in your child's life, that if what you've planted in your child, it is there, it will come out at some point. It might be in the last few years of their life, I hope not. But it might be tomorrow. It is there. It'll come out. And here's what I'm going to tell you. That if you don't listen to the masses about what they're saying about your children, if you refuse to believe it and say, not my child, if you choose to stand up and say, no, world, that's not my child. Because our family, even though we are in the world, we are not of the world. We are a different breed. We don't go the way society goes. And if you stand up for your child and pray for your child, pray for your child when they're 2 and when they're 12 and when they're 52 and you continue to pray for them and continue to stand up for them, I promise you, Jesus is on his way. He's coming. You just got to stand there next to Jesus like Jairus and go, okay, okay, all right, all right. Because the crowd will say it's over for your child. They're not coming back. But here's what I can tell you, people that stand alone, people like Esther, Esther and Jeremiah and Isaiah, and people like Paul, and people like Joan of Arc, and people like Rosa Parks, who choose to stand alone, are the people that make miracles happen. Because the masses just go with the flow, and they don't understand the miracle working power of Christ, because they just want to believe what everybody else wants to believe. Because they're the masses, and the masses just go with the flow, right? But Jesus doesn't call us to, to be that way or to do that. And all of those people that I just mentioned had a miracle in them because they refused to go with the masses and to go with the flow. And Jesus told Jairus, he kind of, I, I just picture in my mind, right? Because you got to keep in mind, Jairus is next to Jesus. And here's you, next to Jesus, believing for your child, believing for your child to come back to Christ, believing for your child to begin to follow Jesus. It's you, and you're believing, and you're standing there next to Jesus, and all the crowd is going, and Jesus is like, what are they, well, I don't even know what they're saying, right? But you know. Because you're human just like Jairus, that it's getting into your head. And Jesus turns to Jairus, and he, he tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, don't listen to them, don't listen to what the crowds have to say about your children. You just believe. You stand your ground. You continue believing. And here's what I'm going to tell you, that if you're in fear for your child, that Bravery is not the opposite of fear. Belief is the opposite of fear. That when I believe in something, when I believe that one day I will see my child in heaven, or I will see my grandchildren in heaven, when I believe that, then I can be brave for them. Then I can stand up for them. Because my belief is greater than my fear. I'm not saying that that fear isn't real. And I'm not saying that it won't raise its head in your life. I'm saying that your belief for them has to be greater. It has to be greater than your fear for them. Bravery is the result of a strong belief. 
And here's what else I'm going to tell you. Your view of God is only as big as the fear that stops you. Your view of God is only as big as the fear that stops you. And so when you get afraid, like, I don't know if I can believe. I don't know if I can stand in the gap. I don't know if I can keep praying. I don't know. That's how big your God is. But the God of my Bible parts the waters for you to walk through. And my God destroys giants. And my God frees people like Paul and Silas out of prison while they're worshiping him. So what we have to do is stop stacking ourselves against the problem and start start stacking the problem against our God. That's what we have to do. When you stand in belief, you're saying, problem meet God. I'm not a part of this equation because I don't operate in my own power. I operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Spirit can send fire down in Acts chapter 2 and revolutionize an entire human race. That's my God. So if you want to meet the fire of God, I'll just step out of the way, problem. That was, that was your amen moment. Okay, all right. So I just want to make sure you all with me because I'm preaching myself happy. And I want to make sure everybody else is happy with me, right? You got to believe that your God is bigger than your problem. Otherwise, you will wilt in fear. And I think it's interesting because in verse 37, when Jesus arrives to the house, he sees all the commotion and he tells Jairus, hey, don't be afraid. Just keep believing. Just keep standing strong. Don't stop believing. Right? All right, that was a good, that's a good song, by the way. Right? Don't stop believing, Jairus. Just hang in there. Stand strong. And in verse 37, he says, the Bible says this. He goes, he did not let anyone follow him. The crowds followed him all the way to Jairus' house, and he turned to the crowd and said, stop. Nobody's coming in. Because sometimes I ain't in the mood to deal with your doubt. I'm not in the mood to deal with your fear. I'm not in the mood to deal with your negativity. I'm not in the mood to deal with whatever it is that you're trying to sling at me that telling me that my child is spiritually dead. I'm not taking that. I don't want to hear it. And if I have to block you on social media, I'll block you on social media. Because my child's eternity is far more important than my relationship with you. So if you want to keep talking negative about my child and about their relationship with God, then you know what? Out. Done. I'm done with you. Get out of the house. I don't have time for this. Because eternity is at stake. And so Jesus kicks them. He kicks them all out. Now here's the interesting thing. That in that culture, they had... Man, we, somebody like, needs to bring this back. They had professional criers. Like, you, would, you, would pay, you would pay people who knew how to begin to cry on cue. They would come. What's so, what did I miss? Yeah, yes, thank you. My wife would make us very rich. And throw in Hallmark and we'd be billionaires. Right? And so professional criers. And what you would do is when somebody would pass away, you would hire as many professional criers as you could. Because that would show how wealthy and how impactful this person was that passed away. Well, it's your 12-year-old daughter. Right? And so Jairus, who is a big shot in the local temple. And you got to understand the temple in that day, the temple is not only the place of religious, the center for religion, 
but it's also the center for economics. It's the center for law. It's the center for um, philosophy in Jewish culture. The temple is the hub for everything. The temple is the hub for everything. And I got news for you. When Jesus comes back, the Bible tells us that when he comes back to take over the planet, he's setting up a theocracy. And a theocracy form of government simply means God's in control of everything. Right down, the Bible even says that the pots and the pans in your house will have his name on them. He controls everything. Your oven that you turn on will have his name written on it. He owns everything. Right? So we're going to, in the future, the world will one day move back to something very similar to that when he comes back. And I'm okay because those of us that have accepted Christ understands he owns everything we have anyway. So we don't have a problem with that. It's the ones that haven't accepted him that will have a real problem with that. Anyway, that's a whole different sermon. Understand this. Here's Jairus. He's a big shot at where all of these things are taking place. How many criers, professional criers, do you think were there? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm going to take a guess. This is just my opinion. It's not in the Bible. It's my opinion. But I'm thinking there were a lot, a lot, right? So they're there, and they're not just professionally crying. They're wailing, and they're weeping. And Jesus comes in and goes, oh, she's not. She's asleep. I'll take care of this. Because in Jesus' world, you got to understand something. I'm I'm bringing this up in just a minute. Jesus doesn't speak about the problem as it is. He speaks about the problem as it's going to be. And he says, from my vantage point, she's asleep. I'm just going to wake her up. I'm just going to wake her up. And they start laughing at him. They start jeering him. They start making fun of him. The Bible says in verse 40 that they're making fun of him. And something happens inside Jesus. I I just want to tell you something. Making fun of Jesus probably is not in your best interest. Can I just say that? Because it doesn't come out in English this way. So I'm going to dive into just a little bit of Greek. But in the English, it says he put them out. He put them out. The Greek word is ekabalo. It means to throw out angrily, like extreme anger, extreme rage. We find this word used in two other places in the New Testament. We find ekabalo in the Greek used in two other places. One is in Matthew 8, 16, where he cast the demons out of the man, and it says he basically became extremely mad at these demonic forces controlling this guy. And he threw them out. Have you ever been so mad you just chucked something against the wall? Okay. Some of you are shaking your head and some of you are like, I really want to shake my head, but I can't because I'm in church and I don't want to admit that. This is Jesus. So he threw the demons out. And then... You've probably guessed it if you're a church person in Matthew 21, 12, when he clears the temple, and it says that he got enraged because they were taking advantage of the people and making money off the people unfairly. And it says he became enraged, and so he formed a whip. Now, I don't know if you've ever made a whip, but that takes time. So I just picture Jesus, like, making this whip, and he's, like, brooding, and is just feeding, and he's making this whip. I don't know how long it took to make the whip, but he was still mad when it was done because he went into the temple and he drove out the animals with the whip and he turned over the tables and he kicked everybody out of the temple. That's ekabalo. That's the exact same word. He kicked these people 
out of Jairus' house because he was so mad at them. He's like, no, no, that is not okay. And he is ticked, ticked at these people for making fun of him and for them accepting the fact that this little girl is dead when he said she's sleeping. In fact, the Kenneth Weiss translation, I love the translation here, it says this. And they went to laughing and jeering at him. But after he himself had thrown them all out, he takes the father of the little girl and her mother and those with him under his care and proceed into where the little girl was. He threw. We says he literally threw them out. Like Jesus is not happy about our kids being in a spiritual dormant state. If you think you're upset about your kid not following Christ, I'm here to tell you Jesus is even more upset. And if it's even possible to comprehend, which I don't believe it is for us, he loves your child and wants to see them in heaven more than you do. So whatever you're praying, just know this, he's praying even more. And he's praying even harder for them. And if you've got kids that are still in school, you need to be praying for their spouse. You need to be praying for your grandchildren. You need to send your prayers. You need to begin to pay it forward because we sit inside of space and time, but he doesn't. And he can step into the future right now today and begin preparing the spouse of your child already. He can begin to fix that marriage and to heal that marriage today, right? And I love what he says to the dead girl. In the English, he says, little girl. But if you have a little girl, and I don't, but you're going to love what he literally says in the Greek. He says, damsel, rise. He calls her damsel, like princess. The king of the universe looks at a 12-year-old girl and goes, princess, it's time to get up. Anybody that's got a little girl understands that. He calls her damsel. He calls her princess. Hey, princess, let's go. Come on, it's time to get up. It's time to get out of the grave. It's time to come alive. Here's what you need to know about God, as I mentioned earlier. Jesus spoke life into death. Don't speak from the present but speak into the future. Don't speak about your kids and how they are presently. You need to speak into the future of your child. He said, I'm not taking the fact that she's asleep. Rise, I know you're awake, I know where you are, come on back. It's time to wake up. It's time, it's time to get off the drugs. It's time to stop running from God. You are royalty. He tells her, you are royalty. You're a damsel. You are royalty. Wake up. Think about that. God looks down at your child and says, prince, stand up. Princess, stand up. You're royalty. And this is not okay. Not for somebody who is royalty. Did you know that calling things that are not as though they were, did you know that speaking and Speaking into the future is a godly trait. In Romans 4.17, Romans 4.17, Paul tells us, 
God calls things that are not currently as if they already existed. Look at Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and it came into being. Jesus spoke to the little girl. Yeah, I know, I know you're dead, but you're alive now. Come on, we're alive. And if you want to see your life to start changing and you want things in your life to start changing, you're going to have to start speaking into the future. You can't say what it is right now. It's going to change. You have to speak into the future. I thank God that my sons have an amazing woman of God that he's preparing for them right now. I thank God that my boys are married to an amazing woman of God that loves them and will mother their children well and will work together in the marriage and in the relationship. I thank God that my boys are safe and protected. I thank God. You have to speak into the future. That is an attribute of God. And if you have God living in you, then you have the same faith and the same attributes in your world to recreate your world. The only reason you don't do it is because you think it sounds silly and it's, and it's out of place. But I'm here to tell you that's the result of faith. Faith says, my child isn't walking with God, but you know what? I think I thank God that they're walking with God. I thank you, Lord, that one day they're in church. Lord, thank you for them being in church with me today. Well, I don't see them sitting next to me. That's not the point. By faith, you have to see it. Christianity is not about seeing and then believing. Christianity is about believing then seeing. You have to believe it and then you'll see it. And when you believe it in your heart and begin to speak it out of your mouth, that is, I was listening this week to a Jewish rabbi speak on this very thing. And he says, when you speak, it is an attribute of God. In fact, he even said, he goes, he even says his pet, one of his pet peeves as a Jewish rabbi is when people say, well, they have the gift of gab. He's like, that is the worst thing you could ever say about somebody. He said, speaking is an attribute of God. And to speak truth into somebody's life is to create a world in their life. He goes, it is not a gift of gab. It is an attribute of God. And it is a powerful attribute because when you speak, he says, when you speak, you're sending the vibrations out. He goes, this is vibrations. This is, you're speaking out. He goes, in your head it's just a thought and it doesn't really exist. He says, but when you speak and it comes out of your mouth and you send the vibrations through the airways and it hits somebody else's ears, it's now a reality in their world. That is an attribute of God. Speaking into something is an attribute of God. And the Bible says that immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. I won't get into this, I won't give you this Greek word, but it simply means that she began to stand up and she walked around the room. This is what this Greek word means. It means that she got up, she went to one person, saw them, and then went to another person. Now Barnes in his notes says that likely she probably stood up and she went to her mom first. You know, this is a 12-year-old girl who's been dead and come back to life. And she goes to her mom, Barnes says, and she probably goes to her dad, and then she probably goes to Jesus. Listen, here's what I'm going to tell you. Your child was meant to rise above everything the world throws at them. But maybe your child has accepted everything the world throws at them. You need to keep speaking over your child those things that are not as if they were. 
you need to keep standing and keep believing. Keep walking with Jesus through the crowds because Jesus has a plan for your child. Jesus has a destination for your child. And Jesus calls your child prince and princess. And there will come a day where he will call their name and he will say, rise, let's go. You're done. You're done being spiritually dead. It's time to start following me. Because one of the first things Jesus said was, get her something to eat. Get that physical body something to eat because it's been without food for a while and it's been sick and it needs sustenance. And they will begin to grow and they'll begin to feed on the word of God. You were meant to rise. Your children were meant to rise above the world and everything that surrounds us. So here's what I'm gonna encourage you in three things. One, ignore the things that don't pertain to your child's eternal destiny. I would rather my child be in church and understand the will of God and know how to hear the will of God than be the greatest mind in any sport because they spent so much time at that sport that they weren't in church. Can I say that? Sometimes, point number two, you just got to cut people out. You just got to block them on social media, unfriend them. You got to block people. Jesus told Jairus, just ignore him. I hear him, but I hear him, but I'm not listening. And then number three, you're going to have to speak into the future of your child. You're going to have to call things as God does, things that aren't as if it was. I thank God that both my boys have an amazing wife. I thank God that both my boys have amazing kids. I thank God in advance. I might be 20 years ahead. I don't care. Listen, the devil doesn't play fair. I'm not playing fair. It's a war for my child. You keep standing in the gap. You keep believing. I want to close with this story. Maybe you've heard of Derek Redman. Derek Redman was an Olympic athlete and track star. He wasn't supposed to get to the Olympics. He wasn't even supposed to be running in the Olympics. He wasn't supposed to get out of the hood, of the ghetto, or whatever you want to call it. He wasn't supposed to get out. But he got out, and he made something of himself. And in Barcelona, he gets down in the starting block to run his race, and he's down, and he's ready to go. And the gun fires, and he takes off. And he's running, and he's running. He's doing pretty well. He's in the top two or three, and he's running. And his Achilles snaps. And he goes down, and everybody passes him. But you see, his parents put something in him that wouldn't let him quit, that wouldn't let him stop running. And when the busted Achilles tendon, he gets up and he, he starts hobbling towards the finish line. And dad's in the stands. And dad looks down and sees his son and he runs out onto the track in front of millions of people and people watching all around the world. His dad gets up underneath his arm and his dad runs with him. Because sometimes it's not about winning. Sometimes it's just simply about finishing the race. And I'm here to tell you that you have a dad in the stands watching. And when you don't feel that you can finish the race because your children 
aren't getting around the track and you wonder if they're going to make it, you have a heavenly father that will come out of the stands and run with them and be with them so that they can finish the race. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. And I'm going to do something just a little different this morning. I'm going to ask the band to play, but we're not going to sing. They're just going to play. And I want you just to kind of get in maybe groups of about a handful of people. I want you to pray for each other's children. I want you to pray for each other's child. I don't want, you know, I don't want anybody getting into any ugly stories or anything like that. I just want you to hold hands and pray for each other's children. You can just simply say, my child's not following Christ, or you might say, my child's doing well. Pray that God continues to strengthen them. But as the band plays, can we gather together and pray? Go ahead and find some people around you to, that you can pray with. Would you guys just pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I thank you that our children are walking before you. They are believing in you and they are carry on, carrying on the faith for their generation. That we are raising mighty men and women who realize that they are royalty in the kingdom of heaven. And they will not bow their knee to the system of this world. And Lord, even if our child is spiritually dead, as Jairus' daughter is physically dead, that you will step into the situation and speak to what they are. Whether it's a princess or a prince, and you will tell them it's time to get up. It's time to come back to life. I praise you and I thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You guys have an amazing week. We love you.